ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Torah Studies. It is great to see everybody. Um, it's good to be back. Um, as uh, I've spoken with many of you, some of you I have not yet spoken with. Um, but of course, as uh, I think you all know, so last week, last Sunday, my, uh, my, my dear beloved grandfather passed away. And um, so we didn't have class last week. But we're back this week, and um, it's really good to see everybody. And of course, everyone's words of, of comfort and of, you know, just uh, friendship and love. It's been very meaningful to receive so many good words and messages, and it's, um, it's really great to study together. So I'll mention my grandfather's name, Tzvihersh Ben Chaim Mishayo Kohen, and may tonight's study be a, um, a, uh, an, uplifting, an uplifting catalyst for his soul to lift his neshama ever higher on his journey um, in, the, in the hereafter. So may his uh, neshama have an aliyah and um, have all, the, have all the, the, the blessings that it needs. So we begin with the, well, let's, let's start with the name of the Torah portion. So this week, we are starting a brand new book of the Torah. We're starting book number four, which is the book of Numbers. But who's counting? Well, we're counting because it's the book of Numbers, and it's in the Hebrew, it's called Bamidbar. Now, why is it called book of Numbers? Because there are multiple times when the Jewish people are counted. Lots of censuses are happening, sensi, sensi, censuses, whatever. Either way, lots of uh, countings of the Jewish people are happening. And, uh, and even our sages in, in Jewish literature, sometimes the English names of the, of the biblical books don't align with the, the Hebrew meaning, right? The Hebrew and English sometimes can be very different. Nonetheless, even the Jewish scholars, the Jewish sages, refer to this book as Chumash Hapikudim, which means the book of counting, i.e. the book of numbers. So it has a Jewish origin as well to be called numbers. In the, in the Hebrew, it's called Bamidbar, which means in the desert which of course has significance because it's not just Bamidbar, it's Bamidbar Sinai in the Sinai Desert. And this is always read the Shabbat before Shavuot, before the anniversary of the giving of the Torah, the holiday that commemorates the anniversary of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And so it's, uh, it's not by chance that the, uh, the Torah portion or the book opens, and the Torah portion opens up with a discussion of Sinai, at least in the context of Sinai Desert. But be that as it may, where the Torah was first given, of course, Mount Sinai, but in that area of the Sinai Desert. But tonight, we're going to focus on the counting. We're going to focus on the census. And the goal is going to be to explore the deeper significance of the counting and try to extract some really powerful life lessons from this. We're going to look at the power of youth. We're going to look at the difference between doing and being. We're going to look at the meaning of human value. We're going to look at the, the significance of numbers, including the number 30 and the number 70. These are some of the numbers we're going to look at tonight. So there's a lot to talk about, a lot of different topics or different themes that will be covered, but all about the same thing, exploring the Jewish notion of the value of a human being. So let's begin. I think you'll all really love this class. So let's begin. I'm excited to explore this with you. 
Um, I have, let me see if I have this up on my end. I do. All right, I have the text open. By the way, I should mention this. I try to mention this periodically. If you wish to have a copy of the textbook that we're studying, so there is a student textbook that is available on Amazon. You can order it and have it delivered to your home. If you want to take the, if you want to use the text as I put them up, that's fine. But if you want a copy of the book to explore and whatever, you can find it on Amazon. If you want to know where to find it on Amazon, it's a big place. You're right. But if I'm in my Torah studies email that I send out, um, not the personal email that I send out, but the uh, kind of the email blast, it has a link to the book. If you want the link and you don't have it because you want to order the book, just message me and I will send you a link to that. All right, so let's jump in. I'm going to share my screen with you and let's explore the census. Um, Paul, will you please get us started? This is text 1A. Please unmute and take it away. God spoke to Moses in the Sinai Desert in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after the exodus from the land of Egypt, saying, Take the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel, by families following their fathers' houses, a head count of every male according to the number of their names. From 20 years old and upward, all who are fit to go out to the army in Israel, you shall count them by their legions, you and Aaron. Thank you. So what we have here is the opening of the book of Numbers, the book of Bamidbar. And it talks about, you see the Sinai Desert is mentioned, what I referenced before. It talks about take the sum. It talks about doing a census. And essentially, what the Torah is telling us is that the census is um, of military age. Israelites of military age. So it's men between the age of 20 and 60. That was, I guess, the ancient uh, span of military age. And so that is the count that is being done at that moment in time. 20 years and up. Those who are fit to go out into the army in Israel, you shall count. Okay, pretty straightforward. Now, what we have here in the next text is, a, is an explanation of motive. And really, the way to start this off is by asking a question, a question that we've asked in classes before, but a question that we'll nonetheless ask again here, and that is, why does God need the number of the Jewish people? Why does God need to know how many... Jews of military age there are? Or is he preparing like uh, gift packages? Or is he preparing like an email or a mail? Or he needs to know exactly how many? So that's number one. Number two, and this is the stronger question, doesn't, don't we believe in a God that knows everything? In other words, it's not like God needs the census results to know how many people there are. So the whole thing doesn't make sense, right? God's asking Moses, hey, can you help, can you help a brother out? Or can you help a God out here for a second? Like, I need the number. And I'm not really sure where to get that from. Can you hook me up with the digits? And then we can proceed. The whole thing doesn't make sense. The whole thing is, frankly, ludicrous. So, immediately, Rashi, Rashi, of course, is the foremost um, straightforward biblical commentary. Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki lived in the 1000s, 1000s. I'm not sure what you call them, but lived, uh, you know, back in the day. Nine, 900 years ago or so, and 900, whatever, so, something like that. And Rashi explains, based on the Midrash, 
that Hashem, God, is counting the people motivated by His love for the people. It's not about knowing the number, the number He already knows. He's counting as an act of love, as a demonstration of love. We're going to read the Midrash, where Rashi sources his comment from in a moment, but I want to kind of highlight this idea. You know, when you have a collection of something that's very dear to you, so every so often you'll go through the collection. Why? Not because you forgot about it, or not because, you know, you're trying to remind yourself about a detail, but because you like it, you're going to go through it. Right? You have um, stamp collection, you have a snow globe co- collection. Yeah. You have a collection, Reeves? No. No? Um, they bought stamps. Here, like three stamps on my school today. One of your friends bought three stamps at school? Mm. How did I know that? I didn't. But that's kind of cool that we talked about stamps. Yeah, so you have a stamp collection. Every so often, you're going to go through them one by one because they're so dear to you. And this is essentially what the Mitchell is saying. Let's, uh, let's look at this inside. Once again, text. Well, I'm glad you're listening so nicely, Reeves. All right, text 1B. Um, you know what, Paul, if you don't mind... Doing the, the 1B, take it away, please. See how dear the Jewish people are to Hashem. They are his legions, and he wishes to count them frequently, like one who consists who constantly counts a precious treasure again and again to know how much it contains, and experiences joy over it every time. Hashem similarly would rejoice every time he recalled the number of the Jewish people, saying, I have this number of legions, in my world, who carry out my will. Hashem takes comfort in them. Perfect, thank you. So it's not an act, it's not a utilitarian act, like, oh, I need to know the number, how many are there? It's kind of like just an act of love. It's an act of counting and recounting because of how dear, how precious, how loving um, the Jewish people are to God. Now, I want to tell you a story along these lines. So the story pertains to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And from 1986 until 1992, when the Rebbe had a stroke, so the Rebbe would stand pretty much every Sunday, except if it was a holiday, every Sunday would position himself outside of his office at Chabad Lubavitch World Headquarters in Brooklyn, New York, 770 Eastern Parkway, in case you're wondering what the address is. So we call that 770. And he would stand outside his office, and people would line up by the thousands. Thousands and thousands of people would line up, men, women, and children, and would walk by the Rebbe one at a time to receive a blessing. And the Rebbe always gave whoever wanted a blessing, a piece of advice, a quick conversation if, uh, if needed, and the Rebbe would always give a dollar bill to everybody that came, not as a memento and not as a, you know, as a payment for coming to see him. But the Rebbe's philosophy was that if two people meet, for whatever reason, a third person should benefit. In other words, if two people are meeting, it's nice that you're having a conversation and you're helping each other, but really this should always benefit someone else. In other words, spread the light beyond the immediate meeting. So the Rebbe is saying, you and I are meeting, you're asking me for something, I'm blessing you with something, great. But take this dollar and give it to someone else. Extend, give it as a charitable contribution to another cause. In other words, 
keep the positive energy, keep the light flowing ever outward. That was the Rebbe's position on it, so the Rebbe gave everybody a dollar bill. So the story goes that one time there was a, uh, an older woman who was standing in line, and these lines would go on for seven, eight hours, and the Rebbe was in his 80s and 90s, you know, 80, 90 years old, when he was distributing these dollars. The Rebbe was born in 1902. So I guess in 1992, the Rebbe would have been 90, okay? Fine, so the Rebbe was so late, late 80s, you know, 90 years old. The Rebbe standing there for six, seven, eight hours on a Sunday, handing out dollars, without sitting, without a break, without taking a break, just physically. I, I, I probably just need to comment for a quick second. On a physical level, to stand at an advanced age in one place without any breaks, and when I say any breaks, I mean zero breaks. Not sitting, not excusing oneself, etc. No breaks is just, it's mind-blowing, mind-boggling every single Sunday. The, so this lady, so this woman asked the Rebbe, she says, I don't, I don't understand. I'm younger than you, and, um, and I'm, I'm exhausted from standing in this line. And I am, I'm only staying in the line for a few hours. You're standing a whole day, pretty much, a whole afternoon until evening um, um, in, in, in one place. How do you do it? The Rebbe smiled, and he said to her, when one counts diamonds, one does not get tired. That's what the Rebbe said. When one counts diamonds, one does not get tired. Imagine you, somebody dropped off at your doorstep. Imagine. Somebody comes to your door and says, listen, don't ask questions. Well, no, that makes it sound, sound dodgy. Okay, whatever. Here's a gift to you, a treasure chest filled with diamonds. You're going to be like just blown away and you're going to probably start counting or coins, whatever it is. You're going to start counting, counting the money. And you know what? If it takes a few hours, you're not going to get tired because you're counting something precious. And again, the Rebbe said this is, this is how he perceived this experience. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't a hyperbole. The Rebbe, to everybody, the, the, the Rebbe loved and valued and cared about everybody that came to him. That's what the Rebbe said. I'm just using this as an example, as a, as a, as a story, as a somewhat of a tangible example to understand what the Medrash is saying, what we read in text, text 1b about God counting the Jewish people. That why the count and why repeated senses, why, why so many different counts of the Jewish people? The answer is because God loves the Jewish people and God is counting again and again and again because of the preciousness. Now, how many, how many were there? How many people were there? So let's take a look at the next text. Let's kind of uh, find out. So what was the tally of males 20 to 60 military age? What was that final number? Okay, let's ask um, Donna Herbert. Please read text 2A right over here. Here we go. The sum of all those who are counted, 603,550. But the Levites, according to their father's tribe, were not numbered among them. God spoke to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, and you shall not reckon their sum among the children of Israel. Very interesting. Very interesting little twist over here, a little plot twist that Donna um, read here now. Right? So those that were counted, 603550, right? That's the total sum right there of, of the Jewish people at least meant 20 to 60, but then we have this little wrinkle. 
the Levites aren't counted. And God says to Moses, the tribe of Levi, the Levites, you shall not number. Do not reckon their sum among the children of Israel. In other words, don't leave them out. Don't count them. By the way, I need to mention parenthetically, um, you know, how, uh, um, maybe unmute yourself. I mean, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's open question. Here we go. How many tribes were there? Twelve. Twelve tribes, right? Good. All right. Fantastic. Twelve tribes. Um, the tribe of Levi wasn't always counted in the, tri- in the 12 tribes, and still there were 12. How did this work out? Because the tribe of Joseph actually divided into two. How did they divide into two? Shortly before Jacob, right? The patriarch, our patriarch Jacob. Jacob's passing, the Torah says, in the end of the book of Genesis. So he calls in his son Joseph, and he says to Joseph, your two sons... Menashe and Ephraim, they are going to be to me like Reuven and Shimon. In other words, they're going to be to me like my own sons on a tribal status. The 12 tribes were the 12 sons of Jacob. What Jacob was saying to his son Joseph is that your two sons, in other words, these two grandchildren will be elevated to tribal status. So when the Levites aren't counted, you still have 12 tribes that are being counted Joseph divided into Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay. Ephraim ben Svi is Fred, right? Fred, you are our resident Ephraim over here. Oh, no, just two. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm saying Ephraim and Manasseh. Oh, there are two Ephraims. Great. Uh, Marcus. Oh, okay. All right, listen. And Arn, Arn, yeah. Okay, listen, we could share the love. There's, there's, there's room. There's room in this town. There's enough room in this town for, uh, for all three of y'all. Okay, you see how I did y'all there. It was almost smooth. Almost. I almost got it. All right, back to our story. So we have 12 tribes that are counted, but the Levites, Shevet Levi, the tribe of Levi, is not counted, right? Why not? What's going on? What kind of discrimination is this? We don't count the whole tribe? What's up? So the next text is Rashi. Donna, please continue to read this one as I pull it up on the screen in a moment. Um, so, yeah, Donna Herbert, please read text to be in a second. Rashi here explains why exactly... Oh, there you go. 1040 to 1105. In case anybody was wondering his, uh, his bio. So Rashi explains why the Levites were uncounted. Donna, please take it away. Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number. The legion of the king deserves to be counted on its own. Another explanation, the Holy One, blessed be he, foresaw that a decree was destined to be enacted against all those counted from 20 years and upward, condemning them to die in the desert. He said, let these not be included, for they are mine, since they did not err with the sin, with the sin of the golden calf. Thank you. So, so, so interesting, this Rashi. Let's unpack it quickly, but let's at least understand what's going on here. Rashi is trying to explain why it is that the tribe of Levi is not being counted when everyone else is being counted. And Rashi says, whoa, slow it down. It's not that they're not being counted at all. They're not being counted with everyone else. Why? Because the legion of the king deserves to be counted on its own. In other words, stay tuned, folks. They're going to have their own census. They have their private census. They have their own count. They're not part of the 603, 550. They're counted separately. And then 
Rashi gives us another idea, a beautiful idea, which is essentially, listen, spoiler alert, in a few Torah portions from now, we're going to be reading about the story of the spies. Remember that story? The Miraglim. The spies went in and they brought back a negative report about Israel and the people panicked. They said, no, we don't want to go in. God, why are you taking us to be, this, to be slaughtered by the, the people that live there now, etc.? And God, God said, really? I'm going to do it again. Y'all are crying? Like, just because of that? Like, what? I, I didn't just take you out of Egypt? Split a sea? Reveal myself to you at Sinai? That didn't happen? Are you kidding? But if you don't want to go in, no problem. So all the men, this was not for the women, all the, because the women never panicked. And they never worshipped the golden calf either. The men, listen. Hey, guys in a golden calf, you know what I mean, right? Whatever. It's distracting. So here's the point. So... So, the men who were panicking when the spies came back were destined 20 to 60. Those men all died out over the next 40 years of wandering, hence the 40 years of wandering, so that they could all pass away due to old age. Even the 20-year-olds passed away at around 60, you know, and then the next generation went into the land of, of, of Israel. That, so Rashi says, why weren't the Levites counted amongst the larger count? Because everyone that was counted, all those 603,550 men between 20 and 60, none of them, well, except for Joshua and Caleb, but other than those two, no, none of those 603,550 ended up in the land of Israel. God did not want to destine the Levites in that same numbered pool, so he counted them separately. So two reasons. Number one, because they deserve to be counted on their own. Number two, not to associate them in the count with a, bunt, with a large number of people that would not survive the journey in the wilderness. Does that make sense? I'm just explaining Rashi. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, Mark. Hey, Mark. Did the Levites go into the land of Israel? Mark, I know you're a Levite, and I know this is concerning to you. <laughs> so here's the deal. Mark, we love you, and yes... You went into the land. Your, your ancestors did go in. Now, it doesn't mean that if, you, that if somebody, if a Levite was 60 years old at the time of the Exodus, right? And they were 100. They would have been 100 by the time of the entering, entering the land of Israel, that they all lived through those 40 years. I'm not saying that no one passed away uh, of the Levites in those 40 years. But what I am saying is that the decree that that generation should die out in the desert and only their children should go into the land was only put on the non-Levites. Cool. Yeah, I knew you would like that. <laughs> I know you, Mark. Seriously. <laughs> anyway. All right. So, listen, Mark, you're safe. You're good. You didn't... You, you, you guys were good. You didn't... Uh, we messed up. You were like, come on, bro, what are you doing? And we're like, yeah, we, we, were, we were crying for no reason. Okay, back to our story. So what? So let's read about the actual census of the Levites, because now we know that there were two different segments of counting. So let's take a look at that next piece of the narrative. All right, let's ask Fred. Hey, how's it going? Um, Rebbe Ephraim, take a look at text number three, and please read the Levite census. God spoke to Moses in the Sinai Desert, saying, Count the sons of Levi according to their father's house, According to their families, count all males from the age of one month and upward. 
So Moses counted them according to God's word, just as he was commanded. Okay, so God says to Moses, we got a new count. Um, we're counting the Levites now, and you count them 30 days and up, and Moses counts them. Now, parenthetically, I need to mention this. Moses was struggling with this. Levite census. Because when it came to the Israelites, it was super easy. He was counting men 20 to 60. It was easy. He would go, he would walk. Oh, I should also mention. Moses and Aaron themselves did the census along with a tribal leader, one from each tribe for that tribe. Each tribe was counted separately and then the whole tally was tallied together. When they counted the adults, it was fairly easy. They went in front of the, the tents, you know, where everyone was, and everyone came out, and they counted them, and it was done. Or they gave a shekel, whatever it was, and they counted the, the coins, and it was done. But how do you count all the babies, right? You're counting infants from 30 days up. So, like, how, how do you do that? Take a look at text four. Such a, such a cool text. I think you guys will like this one. All right, this is coming from, once again, the Midrash. Um... Mark, Mark Galt, our resident Levy, take it away. If anyone else is a Levy, let me know. Otherwise, Mark will be our sole resident Levy here. Any, any other Levim here? Any other Levites? No? Okay. Mark, it's all now, no pressure, but go ahead. Moses counted them according to God's word. Moses said to the Holy One, blessed be he, you were telling me to count them from one, from one month of age. Can I possibly go and loiter around their courtyards and their homes and count every single one of them? As you have said, count all males from, from the age of one month and upward. God said, do your part, and I will do mine. Rabbi Yehuda Halevi Bar Rabbi Shalom said, Moses would go and stand by the entrances to the tents. And the Shekhinah would draw near and say, there are five infants in this home five infants in this home, and ten infants in this home. This is what the verse means when it says, Moses counted them according to God's word. In other words, literally, by God's word. Thank you. So the verse says, right, that Moses counted them according to God's word. The measure says, it means literally that God announced how many there were in any given home, tent, living arrangement. So instead of Moses having to kind of hang out until the kids would go to the park or be strolled or be, you know, whatever it is, pushed on swings or go into tent and say, hey, how many infants are there inside? Because they weren't coming out like the, the, the men. It's like, hey, guys, everyone come out and be counted. So God helped them out with, uh, with announcing the numbers. So that's just a little bit of, um, of, uh, of information about the, the, the miracle that, is, that was associated with that, with that census. But here is... The question. You know, we always like to ask questions. And it's now been about 30 minutes and I haven't asked the question yet. And you're wondering, why not? But that's your question. Here's my question. So my question is, question number one. We have a few questions. Question number one. Why is it that when it comes to the general populace, the census is from 20 years and up? And when it comes to the Levites, however... It's from 30 days and up. Why the difference? Why are the Israelites, the other tribes, the majority of tribes counted 20 years and up? And the Levites, 30 days and up. That's question number one. 
Question number two is even more detailed. Sorry, is even, is it, I, I believe, in even, an even stronger question, but it requires one more piece of information. Something that we haven't yet talked about tonight, and that is, in addition to the census that we just read about in text number three, there was a second census taken of the Levites. Let me explain. Let me explain. Until now, we've been talking about two censuses, two counts. One for the general populace and one for the Levites. What I'm, what I'm introducing now is the fact that when the Levites were counted, they were actually counted twice. In this Torah portion, they are counted twice. Let me break this down. The Levites were divided into three families. There were three primary Levite families. So within one tribe, the Levite tribe, there were three families. Gershon, Kahat, and Mirari. Why those three? Where do those names come from? They were the three sons of Levi, right? So Levi, who was the father of the tribe of the Levites, had three sons, Gershon, Kahat, and Merari, and they become the three families within the Levite tribe. Okay, so stay with me for a second. What was the Levite role? What did they do? What did the Levites do? So they worked on transporting and caring for the Mishkan, the tabernacle. So this was when they were traveling through, they were living in and traveling through the desert, the wilderness, and they had a portable temple, a portable sanctuary. So unlike a synagogue, or unlike the holy temple in Jerusalem that was built by King Solomon, built of stone, or um, the, the, the second temple also built out of stone, unlike those of which the western wall is, is a remnant, and we have to, of course, be thinking about uh, Israel and, and, and protection of, of Israel and peace in Israel. And uh, let, us, uh, let us all say, uh, let us all pray, pray for the, the safety of, of everyone in Israel. Um, so unlike the, 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 the permanent temple, so to speak, this Mishkan, this tabernacle was portable and transportable. So you could take it apart and put it back together again. It was taken apart, put on wagons, moved and then set back up. It was made to be, uh, to be, to be you know, taken apart and put back together again. So who was in charge of it? The Levites. And each of these three families had a different role. So I'm going to go through them. So Gershon, the family of Gershon, right? The f so they were in charge of the curtains, the tapestries, the, the, the dividing curtains, all of the, um, I don't know what you would call it, all of the textiles of the tabernacle they were in charge of. So that's Gershon. Kahat, they were in charge of all of the vessels, all of the um, furniture, so to speak, of the Mishkan. For example, the Ark, the Holy Ark of the Covenant, the menorah, candelabra, the shulchan, the showbread table, the altar of gold that was used for incense, the altar of copper that was used for the other sacrifices. So they were in the family of Kahat, they were in charge of all of the vessels. It's called vessels. I don't know if it works in English, but in Hebrew they're called kalim. All of the implements and the instruments that were used in the holy temple, in the, in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle. And the third family, Merari, they were in charge of the boards and the panels and the sockets. So basically the perimeter. So you had one family, I'm going to go in reverse order now. So one family, one Levite family dealt with the walls and the pegs and, you know, the, the structure. One family dealt with 
I'm going out of order, the curtains, all of the textiles. And another family, Levite family, they dealt with all of the items, all of the objects that were inside the tabernacle. They divided, you know, they, there were many, there were people of, within those families, many people within those families. They all had their jobs, and that's what they did. Listen to this. Later on in this, in, in this Torah portion, God tells Moses to count the Levites by their families, these three families, right, for their avoda, for their work in transporting their respective um, responsibilities, right? One with the curtains, one with the walls, one with the vessels, etc. And what kind of census is this? Get this, 30 to 50. Levites were counted, thir- sorry, 30 years to 50 years old. 30 to 50. Why 30 to 50? Because that's when they would serve in this capacity. Anyone under 30 would not serve in this Transport, tra- uh, in, in transporting the Mishka. They had other jobs, but not transporting. And anyone over 50 also wouldn't transport. So the count was only for those 30 years and up. So let me show you this. Let me show you an example of this. Text number five. I'm going to share my screen with you. And let's take a look at this one. I'm going to read this. Myself. This is regarding the family of Gershom, but just know that this is, there were another two families that, that have a very similar narrative regarding them. So God spoke to Moses saying, take a census of the sons of Gershon, again, one of, the Levi, three, one of the three Levite families, of them two, following their father's house according to their families. Take a look. From the age of 30 years and upward until the age of 50 years, so 30 to 50 years, you shall count them, all who come to join the legion to perform service in the tent of meeting. That means the tabernacle. This, and, and, and so what are they doing? This is the service of the Gershon families to serve and to carry. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle and the tent of meeting, its covering, and the tachash skin covering overlaid upon it, and the screens for the entrance of the tent of meeting. Again, the curtains and the tapestries, the hangs of the courtyard, the screen at the entrance of the gate of the courtyard, which is around the tabernacle and the altar, the ropes, all the work involved in everything that is made for them, and thus they shall serve, or and thus shall they serve. This is detailing, number one, the role of the Gershon families within the Levite tribe, their specific role, but number two, delineating the age of their service and the age of those that were counted in that context. 30 to 50 years old, that's when they worked in this capacity, and those were the ones that were counted in this capacity. And the same thing is true for the family of Kahat and the family of Merari and the Levite families. Which, I ho- if you're with me so far, then I hope this has evoked a question, which is, the Jews were, ca- the, the Israelites, the rest of the Jewish people were counted 20 to 60 years old for military service. The Levites were counted, we just read, 30 years old to 50 years old for the Levite service. So we're left hanging with one census. Why were they counted 30 days up in this other census? Why are they counted twice? And why are they counted at any point in time from 30 days and upward? What is with that 30-day count? doesn't make sense. You want to tell me that the Levites like the Jews that were counted for military service, the Levites, I mean, they were also Jews, but like the, the 
the non-Levites, Israelites, that were counted 20 to 60 for military age, the Levites were also counted 30 to 50 years old for their service. You know, they did this, these guys did that. Makes sense. But why the count? How do we contextualize? How do we explain? What place does the other census have? The census that is 30 days and up. What is going on with that? So to understand, so we have a few questions. Number one, why 30 days up as opposed to 20 or 30 years old? Why a need for a separate count? And what's, what's going on in, in this entire discussion? So to understand this, I'm going to cite Rashi once again. Rashi, Rabbi, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, Rabbi Shlomo, the son of Yitzchak, gives a very incisive explanation as to what's going on with the, the young Levites. Why are we counting Levites in one of those counts from 30 days and up? Take a look at what Rashi says. This is very profound. This is going to be text number six. Rashi's explanation. And let's see. Um, Dr. Maxi, please read text number six. From the age of one month and upward, when he is no longer in the category of possible premature birth, he is counted among those called keepers of the holy charge. Rabbi Yehuda, the son of Rabbi Shalom, said, that tribe is accustomed to being counted from the womb, as it says, whom she bore to Levi in Egypt. And she entered the gate of Egypt. Yaakoved, Moses' mother, was born. Yet Yaakoved was counted as one of the 70 souls. For if you count their total, you find only 69. And it was she who completed the number. Thank you. There's a lot to understand in this Rashi. We're going to do it really in two different parts. The first part, which is the first three lines or so. And then the second part, which is the remainder, which talks about the 69 or the 70 people who kid Jews who came down to Egypt, etc. So we'll, we'll talk about that separately in a moment. Let's focus on the first part of this Rashi. So Rashi says, why were they counted? Why were the Levites in that first Levite census? Why were they counted from one month and up? And Rashi explains, when the child is no longer in, well, here it says the category of possible premature birth. Um, we're talking about kids that are born that are 30 days old. Essentially what it means is in Jewish law, a child is considered to be, I'm going to use a word that I don't like, viable or healthy or kind of um, um, ascertained to be healthy at 30 days old. Like halakhically, there's a certain status when a child passes that 30-day threshold, you know, okay, there's, there's a certain um, solid nature of their health. Now, today with medicine the way it is, you know, would that be something that would... You know, what, is, what does science or medicine have to say about that? I don't know. But I just know in halacha, 30 days is a threshold of where there's a certain viability for that child. And, and, I, and I know this, even though the Brit Milah, the circumcision, is eight days old, we don't wait to 30 days. Because at eight days, we deem the child strong enough to, to, uh, to be able to have a Brit Milah. And yet, overall, the viability happens 30 days. So here's the point. Rashi's saying, that at, from the moment when the child is viable already, the child is already in the status, I'm going to share my screen again, take a look at this key line, the child is already in the status of the keepers of the holy charge. 
So from 30 days and up, the child Levite is a Levite. A Shomer Mishmeret HaKodesh, a keeper of the holy charge. And now that even makes the question stronger. How can you tell me, Rashi, that a 30-day-old child is a keeper of the holy charge? What does that mean? First of all, it sounds like a cool secret society that I want to be part of. But second of all, what does that mean that the child 30 days old is a keeper of the holy charge? A Levite only serves, we read before, in their Levite capacity, 30 years old. It seems like somebody got their years and days mixed up over here. What does it mean at 30 days old they're, the, they're part of the keepers of the holy charge? They can't keep anything, right? They're not keeping nothing. They're, they're not working until 30 years old. So what's the keepers of the holy charge? What's going on over there? To understand this, listen, I don't think for anybody this is your first rodeo Torah studies. You know how we roll. Questions, ideas, and then at the end, it's all tied together. Stay with me. It's all going to be wrapped together. I'll even give you a virtual bow if you, if you need one. It's all going to come together. But to understand this, we need to present another idea. Okay? And that is... Um, text number seven, which talks about the function of the Levites. What ex and I mentioned some of this before. Well, three different families, and one carried this, and one carried that, and one transported the other thing. True. But let's take a deeper dive into this. And I'm going to read this text. All right, this is text number seven, the Levite mission. If you want to see this, this is from our Torah portion, Bamidbar, Numbers 1, verses 50 through 54. Here we go. It's in, literally in this week's Torah portion. God says to Moses, you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony. Over all its vessels and over all that belongs to it, they shall carry the tabernacle, right, transport it, and they shall minister to it, and they shall encamp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is set to travel, the Levites shall dismantle it. And when the tabernacle camps, the Levites shall erect it. Any outsider, non-Levite who approaches, in other words, tries to help out with this, shall be put to death. In other words, it's, uh, it's a, it's a no-no. The children of Israel shall encamp each man by his own camp and each man by his division. The Levites shall, shall encamp around the tabernacle of the testimony so that there will be no wrath upon the, children of the, uh, upon the congregation of the children of Israel and the Levites shall keep the charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. And the children of Israel did according to all that God had commanded Moses Thus did they do. I want to ask you a question. I'm going to keep this text up for a moment because I want to ask you a question and start unmuting yourself to jump in on this. How many roles for the Levites can you identify from this reading that I just read? How many different roles or different tasks for the Levites can you identify? I'm not actually asking for a number, but just verbalize. Tell me, what was, what did the Levites do? What was their charge? What was their mission based on this these verses. Go, jump in. Putting up, taking down, and carrying. Excellent. What else? Perfect. Um, keeping wrath away from the congregation. Good. Good. Okay, yes. Got to keep the wrath away. What else? Minister. Minister. Okay, good. What else? Protecting. Good. What else? What else? What else? There's one thing that's still missing. All, all good. So far, so good. Sorry? Keep the charge. Keep the charge. Good. 
I say that to myself, I say that to my cell phone all the time. Keep the charge. Stop dropping. Joking. All right, yes. What else? What else? What are we missing here? What's another role? The holiness, the guardians of holiness. Good. What else? Practically. The guardians of the vessels. Good. Perfect. Good. All true. What else? Who puts um, the people to death that come too close? God does that? Or yeah, no, no, no. That's, uh, that's a divine thing. Yeah, that's not a court thing. That's not a court thing. Don't worry. Don't worry. No one's getting too close. The Levites are there. But what's another role of the Levites? They guard the entire tabernacle. Uh, good. Give me more. Give me more. Practically speaking, what do they do? This is they encamped around it. There you go. Boom. That's the word I'm looking for. Take a look at this. I'm going to highlight it now. This is it. This is it right here. The oh, I'm sorry. Wrong one. The Levites shall encamp around the tabernacle. If we around the tabernacle of the testimony, right? They encamped around the tabernacle of the testimony. So I want to ask you a question. 30-day-old baby. 30 Imagine Mark, 30 days old, right? Mark, a young Levite. Maybe you can even show us a baby picture maybe later, right? Imagine a 30-day-old Levite child. I want to ask you a simple question. Yeah, can this Levite child dismantle and erect a tabernacle 30 days old? No. Can they be, um, you know, putting things in place and, you know, admonishing uh, others for getting too close? No. But I want to ask you one question. Can they live around the tabernacle? Can they encamp around the tabernacle? Can they live with their families, their parents, in the perimeter of the tabernacle? Yes. My friends, you all gave me s sophisticated answers. Answers for adults. But I was looking through the lens of a 30-day-old child reading these, well, trying to read these verses. What role of the Levite is there for a 30, what Levite role is there for a 30-day-old? The answer is encamping around the tabernacle. Literally being in that proximity, ringing the tabernacle with their presence. No, not ringing like this, but ringing, encircling the tabernacle with their presence. Now, I want to share with you this beautiful text of the Rebbe. The Rebbe uses this to explain something just really, really beautiful. Text number nine. I'm going to read this. Keepers of the holy charge refers to the fact that the Levites, remember when Rashi said that at 30 days old, they're already keepers of the holy charge. And I asked you, what kind of keepers of the holy charge could they be? What kind of keepers of the, keepers of the holy charge, right? So keepers of the holy charge, the Rebbe says, refers to the fact that the Levites guarded the Mishkan so that no stranger would approach it. As the verse says, the Levites shall keep the charge of the Mishkan of the testimony. This was the purpose of the commandment. The Levites shall encamp around the Mishkan of the testimony. Let me draw maybe one more dot that I, that I, that I didn't perfectly draw a moment ago. The fact that the Levites in physically lived around the tabernacle means that no one could get through without going through the Levite camp. Are you with me on that? Yeah, so they physically served as a perimeter buffer, barrier for people getting too close to the tabernacle when they shouldn't go there. So that's how they were keepers of the holy charge. That means to keep others away from that perimeter. And how did they do that? 
by physically being there, not through a bullhorn or through a billboard. That's how they did it, by physically being in that perimeter. Therefore, the Rebbe says, Levites can be called keepers of the holy charge already from one month of age and up. It really means from, from, from birth. But again, 30 days is the, is the age of viability, etc. But already from the youngest of ages, Levites are already called keepers of the holy charge. Why? Because by camping, right? By simply being present around the Mishkan of the Testimony, Newborn Levites are, in fact, keepers of the holy charge, even if they aren't ready yet for the work of actually guarding the Mishkan. They won't be able to stop someone. They won't be able to say, hey, who goes there, or whatever it is. They won't be able to actually do the work. But what they can do is physically fill the space with their presence. Where the Rebbe is going with this, is such a profound truth. We live in a world where value is associated, too often value is associated to people based on what they do as opposed to who they are. You meet someone, oh, what's your name? What do you do? Why do we ask that? What do you do? Maybe we have nothing else to say. But it's become part of the, at least the Western or American psyche. I don't know what they do in other countries. It's been a while, right? Where they're at, they ask, they, there's, a, there's an association, right? I want to know where to put you, where to, where to box you in. So tell me what you do. Judaism again and again reminds us that true value lies not in what we do, but in who we are. And what the Rebbe is saying is that already from essentially birth, a Levite is a Levite. A Levite has that value, has that essential value to be a keeper of the holy charge or a guardian of the holy charge already from the youngest of ages. And this explains also the second half of that Rashi. If you recall, Rashi said, Rashi was talking about Yocheved, the mother, the mother of Moses, who was born at the border of Egypt and rounded out the number of Jews to the number of 70. So let me explain what's going on. And let me explain this. Again, this is the second half of that Rashi. So I told you we're going to do it in one half and then the other half. So again, stay with me here. Let's take a look at text number 10. This is going back all the way to the book of Genesis. And here we're talking about, you remember the story of Joseph, right? He had that cool color coat. Brothers wanted to kill him. He sold him as a slave to Egypt. He eventually rise to become viceroy. There's a famine in, in, in Israel slash Canaan. The family needs to come down. He pulls a fast one on them, not telling them who he is. His brothers don't know that he's Joseph, that he's the viceroy, etc. Eventually, he reveals his identity and says, bring down the whole mishpacha, bring down the whole family, and we're going to have a party here in Egypt. Okay, so the Torah says that, therefore, Jacob and his family came down, and the Torah counts the entire Jewish family at that point, how many there were. Take a look at this at this uh, account, all the souls coming to Egypt with Jacob, those descended from him, in other words, descended from him means um, um, not spouses, it means like fi biological family. So excluding the wives of Jacob's sons, oh yeah, I just said that, okay, I could have written this thing. So all the souls were 66, right? So you had 66, Jacob's family, direct family numbered 66 people coming down to Egypt, plus, and Joseph's sons, who were born to him in Egypt, 
two souls. So you had 66 that came down, plus Joseph, who was in Egypt already, and his two sons, who were already born at that point in time in Egypt. So 66 plus 1 plus 2. Carry the 4 divided by... No, 66 plus 3 is 69. And thus the Torah says, all the souls of the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were 70. And they expect us to, to, to let them get away with that. What is this? Who wrote this thing? Right? God, let's, uh, let's, let's have a schmooze here about math, you know, for a second. 66 plus 3 is not 70. And no, we're not counting Joseph's wife because it's excluding the wives, it's excluding the daughters-in-law. It's not the, it's not the descended from him. It's those that married his descendants, but those are not part of the count. I mean, I'm sure they were still invited to Thanksgiving. I'm just saying it's not part of the census. So you have 66 plus 3. So how do we say that the total was 70? Well, the answer is that Rashi gave us the answer before. What was the answer? As they were traveling down 66 strong to meet up with Joseph and his two kids, and Joseph's wife, there was a girl born at the border. Yeah, her mom was traveling when she was nine months pregnant. I know, it's not advised nowadays. Whatever. This is before, you know, these types of uh, warnings and proclamations. The little girl, Mazel Tov, was born, it says, between the walls. Ben HaChomot, between the walls of, of, the, of the country of the nation of Egypt. Between the walls, I guess they had thick walls. You know, they had like a thick border to protect things. And so she was born right there at the border. And who was born then? Yochever, who turns out, spoiler alert, to be the mother of Moses. You know Moses, right? Yeah? Moses and his staff, right? Moses of Moses' fame. So she's, his mom is born by the border. And she made the number count to become 70. You see what just happened? She was a Levite. How do I know this? Moses was a Levite. How do I know this? Her parents were Levites. Yocheved was a Levite. And the moment she's born, we didn't even wait 30 days for her. The moment she's born, she's already bumping the number up to 70. That is the origin story. That's how we know that Levites, Marks, I mean Mark, Levites, from the moment they're born, they already count. She's already bumping the number up to 70. You don't have to wait 20 years to see how they're going to turn out, right? Like what happened with all the investment? No, already from the beginning, boom, you have the value, the inherent value. Why was it necessary to have 70? And what's the significance of 70? By the way, 70 is a significant number. It says that the Torah has 70 facets of understanding. There were 70 elders in the desert. It says that God has 70 names. There are 70 holy days on the Jewish calendar, including Shabbat. Every year, there are 70 holy days, Shabbat and festivals. Add them all up together, you get 70. And if you're missing one, you can always count Yochevet. Anyway, the point is that... The, that was a joke. So, so 70 is a significant number. But why is it significant? It's significant... It's significant... I didn't realize we get such a, such a, a chuckle here. It's significant... Because of what it was about. I know that sounded vague. Let me, let, me, let me make sense of that. 70 is also a reference to the 70 nations. That's another, right? You've heard of the 70 nations. Originally, everyone spoke the same language, but with the Daraflaga, with the 
the nation of the tower. This is, we can't break this down and get back into the history. But at a certain point, God essentially diversified humanity into 70 distinct nations, not including the Jewish people, 70 nations. Now today, there are more than 70 countries, more than 70 languages. But originally, there was the split into 70 distinct nationalities, 70 different nations, origin nations, 70 origin nations. And the 70 members of Jacob's family, since the Jewish people are meant to be a light into the nations, so 70 nations, 70 members of the family, 70 members of the Jewish family, each one should be a light into the nation. And what's the message here? Yochefed, from when she's born, she's already a light unto the world. From the moment of her birth, she's already one of the 70. She's already bringing light, not by what she's doing, but by who she is. Not the Levites didn't count only by the fact that they could schlep. I don't mean schlep in a negative way. But they, that they carried the boards and the sockets and the tapestries and the menorah and the table. That's not what gave, that's not solely what gave them value. What gave them value was their very being and existence. Not what they did, but who they were. And we see this with Yocheved. She was born and she was valued and she was one of the 70 who would bring light into a world that so often is dark. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, well, this is great for the Levites. Well, great, I guess the Levites count, but what about everybody else? So already we have Maimonides. We have Rambam. And Maimonides says something in May, absolutely exquisite. Rambam, I'm going to read this quickly. Rambam says, Maimonides says, by the way, what I told you just now was based on the Zohar. Kabbalah, this is text 11b. Again, if you had a textbook, you could look this up. If those that do have can look it up, right? So why 70? The Zohar says, Rabbi Shimon of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai of Lagba Omer fame says, 70 corresponds to the 70 nations. Okay, that's where I got that from. But take a look at text 12. Um, no, take a look at text, I'm sorry, not 12. Text 14. Not only the tribe of Levi is holy, rather it can be for anyone. In other words, Mark, I'm sorry. We're all taking, we're all uh, jumping in on this bus, right? We're all Levites. We all can be Levites. Anyone in the world, anyone in the world whose spirit generously motivates him or her and has the insight to set himself aside to, and stand before God, to serve him and minister to him and to know God, proceeding justly as God made him, removing from his neck the yoke of the many reckonings which people seek, is sanctified as holy of holies. In other words, the moment we say less materialism and more connection, more divine connection, we are all spiritually or conceptually the status of a levy. God will be his portion and heritage forever, and he will provide, sorry, and God will provide what is sufficient for him in this world, like he provides for the priests and the Levites. This is Maimonides in Mishnah Torah, in his book of Jewish law. Maimonides says that everyone can be conceptually philosophically, a Levite. No, it doesn't mean that you're going to get called second to the Torah on Shabbat, but it means that spiritually you can elevate yourself to that status of a Levi. Based on this, the Rebbe explains that just as we said that a Levi, a Levite from the tribe of Levi, is counted at birth from 30 days, it's not what they do, but who they are, this is a message for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us is infinitely precious, infinitely valuable, and absolutely, absolutely makes a difference. In a world 
that puts utilitarian value so often on people. That says, well, based on what you can accomplish, based on our algorithm, we think that you have value. Based on our algorithm, we think you don't have value. Right? And this is true in many, well, we could have many conversations about this and applications of this, right? In medicine and healthcare, et cetera, right? We assess that you have value based on what you can accomplish, what you can do. But if you can't, then, well, I guess maybe it's not worth whatever, et cetera. I don't even want to say that. But in a world that so often views people in a utilitarian way, based on utility, what they can do, Torah has a radically different take. Yeah, Torah also counts from 20 and up. And Torah also counts from 30 years and up. But Torah also tells us about the Levites. And Torah tells us that the Levites are counted 30 days. And we can all, and hashtag, we are all Levites. We can all be Levites. Not by what we do, but who we are at our core. And when we identify with who we are, when we embrace who we are, we matter no matter what. And so I want to conclude with this. The Rebbe taught us again and again to believe in the power of youth, to believe in the little kinderlach and the little kids, to never discount someone who seems to be too young to make a difference. In fact, we know that the Torah was given to us at Sinai. We're getting ready for the holiday of Shavuot, the anniversary of the giving of the Torah. The Torah was given to us at Sinai, says the Talmud, because of the children. When God said to Moses, hey, I need a guarantor. If you want me, I'm sorry, this is from the Midrash. It's in text 15 in the text. We're not going to read it inside. When God said to Moses, hey, I need a guarantee. If I'm giving you the Torah, I'm giving you the most precious gift ever. What's your collateral? What's your guarantee? I need, a guarantee? I need a guarantor here. Moses said, patriarchs, no. The prophets, no. The children, God said, yes. God believed in the children. We have to believe in the children. We have to believe in ourselves, in the power of youth, in the power of children, the power of all of us. Not based on what we do, but who we are. And even a child, not even a child, a child brings light into the world. An adult brings light into the world. Someone elderly brings light into the world, not based on what they do, but based on who they are. Let us all embrace our inner power. When we do that, we will then indeed achieve great things. The soul is likened to a flame. And a flame brings light by virtue of what it is. Not by what it does, but by what it is. May each of us continue to bring amazing light into this world and to illuminate the darkness that so often seems so stifling and suffocating. May we never shrink in the face of darkness. May we remember that in the battle between light and dark, dark never has a chance. When you go into the basement and hit the switch, hit the, hit the light switch, darkness, does, assuming your bulb and electricity works, darkness has no chance chance. May we embrace our light and bring light into the world by virtue of who we are. And let us say, Amen. I want to wish, wish everybody a very happy Shavuot, very happy holiday. This holiday that's coming up starting Sunday night is one of the three major biblical holidays, along with Passover and Sukkot. So it's a major holiday and there's major celebrations. There's major cheesecake happening. So everyone's invited to join us, Shavuot. Um, so we're going to be getting together Sunday night. The holiday begins Sunday night at about 9-ish. So 10.30 p.m. If you're wondering if that's a typo, no, because I didn't write anything yet. But 10.30 p.m. is the time that we start. It's a, it's a, it's a late-night learning program. It's the Late Late Show, or the Late Show. 10.30 p.m., at Chabad in town, we're going to be getting together in person in Jeff's place, socially distanced, etc. 
But we'll be getting together to study Torah. We have three Torah talks lined up. 10.30, 11.30, and 12.30 a.m. 10.30 p.m., 11.30 p.m., and 12.30 a.m. And then we can stay on and learn um, till, till daybreak. The custom is to learn all night. And, um, and we do that Sunday night. Monday, we have services at 10 a.m., followed by a Ten Commandment reading, as well as 5.30 p.m., another reading of the Ten Commandments, and a holiday party, a dairy bash. It's a custom to eat dairy foods on, on the holiday, and we're going to go to town with that, with having, I think we're making, like, custom pizzas, because you can cook on, on a holiday, and ice cream, and, uh, and all sorts of dairy goodness. So join us for the holiday. It's not about the cheesecake. It's always about the cheesecake. But it's also about the Torah. Um, if you're wondering, by the way, what's the deal with dairy and, and Torah, I just released a class on our podcast a few days ago. It's called the Kabbalah of Cheesecake. Check it out if you want to see the live broadcast, the not live broadcast. You can go to kongariel.org or .com, I think .org, for, for some Torah classes over the next uh, two days including my class tomorrow, Thursday at 7 p.m. They're going to air it. Um, so I explain in that class the custom of staying up all night studying Torah, as well as the custom to eat dairy on Shavuot. That is, uh, that is in my class. So what's the point? The point is have a meaningful holiday. Let's remember to celebrate the Torah. The Torah is the only reason why we're still here. It's because of Torah. Have Torah will travel. They, everything's been taken away at some point in history. The only thing we've had consistently is Torah. So let's celebrate the Torah, celebrate our heritage, celebrate our mission, and as we said tonight, celebrate who we are. Not just what we do, but who we are as human beings. Thank you for joining me tonight. I want to wish everybody peace and happiness and blessings and joy and only revealed blessings. Any questions, comments? We'll close it out. All right, pleasure. We'll see you guys. Oh, yeah, Dina Malka, go ahead. I just need help with my math. Yes. 56 souls. Yeah. Then, J then Joseph's two sons. And Joseph. Yes. Plus Joseph. And Joseph. Joseph and his two sons. Okay, thank you. Got Plus Yocheved born on the border. Boom. You get your classic 70 right there. All right. So, yes. So Yocheved was counted. Yes. Right? Okay, but in the Torah portion... When they count, they only count males. Because it's military age, right. Yeah, and they don't count anyone under 20 or over 60. They say, even with the Levine, they say, So they don't count the women, uh, the, the female Levites. And since Rashi brought it up about Yochebet to begin with, how does he eat? And I was looking at the Rashi. Yeah. He doesn't explain anything about why is it called Zakar, even though it's from Mahalan. Right. It's not, it's not I mean, there's a technical... Look, look, so Rashi is not the only comment. No, it's a very good question. So, look, the spiritual, Nikudah, the spiritual point stands, and Rashi brings Yochevet, of course, so that the point stands male or female, boy or girl, the point still stands. But your question is a good question. So, practically, why did they only count the, the boys 30 days and up? Okay, so the, there's, there are other answers given for this. So this is where sometimes you need to use some other commentaries. One of the other classic answers that's given for this, but it wouldn't lead to the conclusion that we got to today, but one of the other answers that's given to this entire conversation is that the Levites were taking the place of the firstborn of the Jewish, of the Israelites. 
Remember, the firstborn were saved when God killed the Egyptian firstborn. He passed over the Jewish homes, hence Passover, and spared the, the Israelite firstborn. So, essential, so from that point in time, the firstborn Jewish boys, oh, sorry, because the decree was never on the firstborn Egyptian girls, it was only on the boys. So the only ones that were spared, that owed their life, so to speak, to God, were the firstborn Jewish boys. And those firstborn Jewish boys were supposed to be in God's service, but because of the sin of the golden calf, which they participated in, which we read about, which we talked about before, so it was taken away from them and given to the Levites. But the Levites kind of were kind of like man for man replacing the firstborn. So the firstborn boys that were supposed to be constricted into God's service, it was taken over by the firstborn, sorry, by the Levite boys. So again, that's a, I, it's, it doesn't work. I'm giving you a technical answer. It doesn't work with the insight that we shared. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, but Rashi himself cites, as in this context, Yochavet. So clearly, clearly it's non-gender specific in concept in, how, in, in technical practice, for other reasons, for other reasons, they only counted the boys because they were taking over for the... Today, does that mean that the whole world would be egalitarian as far as Jewish practice? By the way, uh, first of all, first of all, Judaism, even, not even, but traditional Judaism is very egalitarian. The only, listen, this is really for another class, which we've actually covered in the Jewish course of why, but... Um, so in, for, for the concept of Kiddush Hashem, right, for sanctification of God's name, which is done when there is a minion, when there's a quorum, it's non-gender specific. A minion of, for Kiddush Hashem, for a sanctification of God's name, a public sanctification of God's name, is, 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 is not. The only thing is, with regard to a prayer service specifically, then that's where things get a little bit different, and that's only because... Again, it, traditionally, you only count those that are obligated in that service. And since it's a time-based thing, so women are not obligated, although they're encouraged, but they're not obligated. So on a technicality, it's, uh, that's, that's why not counted for the minion. But again, in general, there's counting for a minion, and then there's counting, right? Counting. So counting 100% uh, for a technical thing, that's where the nuance comes in. But, but very good questions and really... Honestly, the subject of a much broader discussion, which we've done, and we should do again as well. Um, but it's really great to see everybody. I want to close out again, reiterating the idea here is that we have to embrace our inner value and never allow ourselves to be dissuaded by a world that tells us that you only matter if. We have to know that we have absolute value. All right. Have a wonderful evening, a good night, and uh, let's bring light into the world. Take care, everybody. Good to see you all.